This episode of Converge with my guest, Spencer Borup, is sponsored by Fast Track Creative. For more information, check out FastTrackCreative.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things. And when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. There comes a point in most every creative's journey or career where they are becoming good at their work to the point where they're they're noticing the tools that they use sometimes are insufficient or they dream up new ways to do creative things. And my guest today is someone who is in that exact spot, except in his case, what he thought up and invented really altered things, not only for uh, him and his family and, and what he's up to entrepreneurially, but it really changed things for a lot of other people in terms of how they do their work. Spencer Borup is a photographer from Tucson, Arizona, but now he's more than that. He's expanded to the business-to-business world of selling things to photographers, and in particular, a modifier for flashes. But it's not just any modifier. It's not just an incremental improvement. It's a radical interruption to what's been normal in the photo world. And I think if you join me in today's conversation, you're going to be really glad you did for a couple reasons. One, because you're going to find out about some cool tools. But two, even if you're not a photographer, what you're going to hear about is a journey that might be inspiring for you in your own creative process. I think overcoming that fear of just going to make it happen is the difference between a successful entrepreneur and someone that has a great idea. I think that's the only difference is the ambition and the drive to just do it. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Spencer, welcome to Converge and uh, FastTrackCreative.com. Hey, Dane. Thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a real honor considering the guests you've had on the show. It's, it's great to be with you today. Well, Spencer, uh, you know, we, we became acquaintances a number of years ago, but more recently, it feels like we've had more substantive conversations and become friends and uh, have had a chance to, well, really what reintroduced me to the conversation with you was this new invention of yours. And uh, before we get into all that, I'd love it if you could just share a little bit about your creative journey and how you engaged photography as your kind of um, craft of choice and uh, what led you to uh, your epiphany uh, that ultimately led to this product we're going to talk about. Sure. Um Back in high school, photography was kind of just a hobby for me. I was actually a, a music uh, choir geek nerd and had a scholarship to uh, the University of Arizona here to study music. Uh, I ended up leaving after my freshman year to serve a mission for my church. And when I came back, after taking thousands of pictures, I realized photography was fun. I was semi-decent at it. And I just kind of jumped right into to doing weddings and portraits and quickly uh, became at the point where I left my job, did photography full-time from 2007 and on, and since then shot weddings, high school seniors, and, and family portraits in, in my market. And uh, 
was a fun process building the business. I always gravitated towards the entrepreneuring side. And what I ended up doing was just a creative you know, product. So that's kind of how I got into photography. Um, I've always loved doing it. And, you know, later down the road, I, I came up with an idea and I decided, you know, maybe maybe I wanted to do something different at that point. You know, I, I love that that articulation because it, it really re- kind of mirrors what, you know, this this new, you know, I don't want to create too much mystery here. What we're going to talk about here is this thing called a MagMod or a Magnetic Modular Speedlight Modifier. And a lot of folks who are on this, who are listening to the show already know what this thing is. They saw the Kickstarter, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, they've seen the piece. If they haven't already, they're now Googling it quickly and, and they should. It's a really cool tool. But in creating this tool that we're going to talk about in a second, it sounds like the process of creating it wasn't too distinct from the curiosity that led to you becoming a photographer. Yeah, it was really kind of, I would say, kind of a divine inspiration. I, I shot a wedding in April of 2013, and the next morning I woke up with this idea of how could I use a gel on my flash without all the hassle of the tape and the Velcro and and losing them and, and whatnot. And this concept of, oh, I wish I could just slap it on and forget about it. Like slap it on like this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I was like, how could I, that would be so cool. How could I, how could I do something like that? Nothing really existed. And this epiphany came to me that, you know, I could use, I could use a magnet, you know, it'd stick on and it'd be really strong. And I had previously used magnets when I first opened a studio in 2009. And rather than doing, uh, you know, a traditional mounting method of pictures on the wall for the gallery, I decided I want to use magnets so I could swap them in and out. You know, if a senior came by or a wedding came by, I could just put up wedding pictures in a Jeff. So I knew I had experience with really powerful rare earth magnets. And, um, you know, my daughter was barely, you know, a few weeks old and she had a binky that was made out of silicone. And I was fascinated so just, that. Just so people understand what a binky is, because not everyone has a pacifier. Of, yeah. Right, right. You know, whatever they suck on. And, and um, it was made out of silicone. It was pure silicone and it had really thin parts and really thick parts, but it always kept its form, but it was, you know, really firm and really durable. And that's where this concept of, wow, could I combine silicone with, with magnets and, and, and make this thing. So I sketched up a rough idea within a few days and kind of showed some of my trusted friends and colleagues like, Hey, I have this cool idea. Is this crazy? Am I just obviously emotionally connected to this or is this a legitimate, you know, thing I should pursue? And, and all of them like, yeah, that'd be really cool. I'd I'd love to see it. Hmm. And at that point I, I kind of think I thought to myself, yeah, this, this would be cool. I never really knew or had any preconception that it would eventually turn into what it is today. And, um, Along the process, I quit almost three or four different times thinking that, oh, this wouldn't be viable. I don't I don't think I can compete with the other modifiers that already exist. It's going to be too expensive. And um, I think it, it came to just, you know, I want to try it. I want to do it and set out to, you know, get some estimations from different manufacturers. And everyone just said, I hope you make this because I want this product in my bag. Yeah. And eventually... I made a prototype. It it seemed awesome. It came out better than I had anticipated. And I guess the rest is history from there. Well, there was one kind of pivot point milestone, and that was the Kickstarter. And for those of you guys who don't know, a Kickstarter 
uh, I, I'd be surprised if you didn't, but if you, if you don't, uh, go to kickstarter.com and you'll see this, this phenomenon called crowdsourcing. And of course, crowdsourcing has been around forever. It used to be called, um, I have this idea, call all your friends and see if your great Aunt Hilda will throw in some money to help you make something. But now, because of the internet, it's a lot easier to do that kind of thing, and everyone can participate in cool ideas. And you went from the process of having the idea, I know that feeling, by the way, of waking up in the morning and feeling both excited and burdened by a big idea. And then you sputtered and starts moving along the way of set testing to see if this is a good idea. You checked in with some manufacturers. Uh, the idea seemed like, wow, this, this is a long shot, but it could actually possibly work. And I'm getting enough people saying, yeah, you need to go build this. But then you thought, let me really test that idea out. And you brought it to Kickstarter. Talk about that experience. Yeah. I mean, like I had mentioned, I, I kind of felt like quitting, you know, a few times because I've, I've been shooting for so long. I'm so familiar with the products that exist. And I thought, you know, there's so many, you know, cheap eBay grids that you can purchase that why would someone want to buy something that's five times the price? But people kept on telling me this is going to be way better. And it wasn't until I actually hired a designer to, to draft what I had, you know, mocked up in a little 3D program into a, an actual producible 3D um, design. So I was like, hey, this actually looks nice and sleek in, in the process. And that was something I found lacking in others. And, you know, I, I made some prototypes, did some 3D printing and uh, made some tweaks. And after about four or five different rounds of prototyping, I landed on what I thought would be, you know, this is going to be great. And there's no way to really print in silicone to see if, if my idea that this flexible band that would be universal fit on all of your different flashes would actually work. So I just kind of jumped right in. I invested, you know, I funded the whole thing myself and okay. I paid, I paid for a mold, which is really expensive. And if your mold is wrong and your design is wrong, you got to, Start Redo over. it. You yeah. gotta start over. So it was really kind of a risk. I was like, well, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna see if the band works, if this whole idea of using silicone rubber is gonna work. And uh I I I hit a home run and you know it worked perfectly and and I sent it off to some friends and I'm like, dude, this is this is really cool. Like this is better than I thought it would be. Well, well I'm curious I'm, uh, cur I'm curious, what kind of a bet was that for you? Like you don't have to get too specific, but are we talking like uh, like hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars? Uh, it was several thousand dollars invested into the process at this point just uh -huh. to make this first first go at seeing if this is going to be a viable um, material to use. So but I felt I felt pretty confident. You know, I had I had studied a lot about the properties of silicone and talked to a lot of manufacturers that use it and kind of told me, you know, this is if if you want to do this, this is the kind of things you should look for. Huh. And so in collaboration with them, I kind of made an educated guess and just said, I think, I think I'm doing what's right. I think I've, you know, crossed all my T's and dotted the I's and I'm ready to invest in it. So it wasn't like it was a, like a gamble. It was, you know, a calculated risk that I was, I was willing to take knowing that hmm. I was pretty close. If I had to do it over again, I'd probably only have to do it one more time. So it was a risk, but it, you know, it was worth it to me. Right. And it sounds like you mitigated that risk by doing your homework. Yeah, it was a lot of homework. So, so this is all pre Kickstarter then. So then you, you, you have the, the, you have the mold, you have the CADs drawn up and you have some 
some people who've given you indicators that this this makes sense. Then you made a video and came up with some rewards and put it online in the hopes of making, are you trying to make your money back at this point? Are you trying to make new money so that you can start producing these things? What was your goal with, with the Kickstarter? Yeah, it's essentially what I determined the goal to be was to really to meet a minimum order quantity from the manufacturers. You know, they, they need to make thousands of pieces for it to, to bring the cost down. You know, you just get economies of scale. If you wanted to make a hundred, then these things might cost 20 bucks a piece. So just what's, can I interrupt for one second? So even that, just so folks at home who've never been into manufacturing before, this is that moment on when you're walking, watching Shark Tank and uh, Mark Cuban is saying, so how much is your per unit price? And if you did it in mass quantities, could you get it cheaper? Is that right? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, but I want to make sure that I'm getting my head around it. So that, that was kind of the center of the goal was what's the minimum amount to make this while still being economical to the consumer and, and, and semi-profitable for me so that I can keep making it in the future. We came up with a goal that that was $35,000 to finish some of the tooling and the mold costs that would allow us to purchase you know, a specific number of units that we could fulfill to the people who ended up donating or pledging for for that specific reward level, and uh, it might have given us you know like a thousand or two thousand dollars to invest in some other things. Mm. I wasn't looking to really make my money back. I I knew that was an investment that I may or may not see a return on, and uh, I just kind of I wanted it to be an attainable goal. You know, thirty five thousand. I thought I think that's doable, but it sounds like a lot. Like it could be a lot, and that was. Originally, I, I calculated almost 70000 when I was really kind of in the very beginning of the process. Mm. And I thought at that time, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make that. That seems really lofty. Mm. And so I just kind of sat on it. And then I figured out, you know, we could make it work with thirty-five, and And so I kind of was hesitant to do the Kickstarter. Why were you hesitant? Um, I was hesitant for a few reasons, but I think the, the fear of, putting a product out there, presenting your concept and idea, and you cannot deliver it yet. That was kind of the, the big fear for me is, you know, how I came up with this idea, how do I put it out there and, and turn this into to something that's real that can last and be sustainable. So, so you went for 35,000 and you hit that goal pretty quick. Yeah, it was pretty surreal. We posted it first thing in the morning on a Wednesday, I, I told a few people and within four hours we had hit 35,000 and in three days we surpassed a hundred thousand. It was mind blowing to kind of see that one, I, we reached the goal, but the more exciting part was seeing the response that people were just so excited about this new product. They're like, I cannot wait to use this it's going to solve my problems. This is the coolest thing I've seen. I mean, the, the comments and the buzz we've seen is still continuing to grow today. And that's the most amazing part about it to me is like, holy crap, I'm, I'm involved with this. And, and it's, it's exciting. It's cool. Yeah. You got married that day. (laughs) (laughs) Was it weird to, to switch gears from selling services to, you know, direct to clients versus, selling products to your colleagues? Um, not necessarily. I, I had a few small little personal projects of my own throughout the years. You know, back in 2008, I made some Lightroom presets that I 
just packaged together and offered because people liked my processing and wanted me to give them some tips because Lightroom was still kind of fresh at that point. Mm -hmm. And that was my first foray into offering a product to to photographers or to other general population. And that kind of spawned other ideas. I did a, like a workflow DVD with a good friend of mine, Tony Hoffer. And that gave me experience in creating a tangible good that was distributed through 20, 30 countries. Um, so I've offered a few things, even even a few more that, that gave me that experience. So I knew what it took to you know create a website, to create a service that was somewhat automated. And, and I, I kind of experienced a lot of the headaches that people experience when they when they create a startup or a new company. So I had an idea of, of how this would work if it launched and and if it was successful. And so the transition hasn't been too difficult. Now it's just the sheer number of, of customers we have and the sheer number of emails and Facebook posts that that we're managing and, and trying to help. And that that's definitely a new challenge and we've hired new people on to help me in that process. So that, that those are they're still growing pains because it, it exploded and I wasn't anticipating this growth to be so quick and so sudden. So what I'm hearing you say is a couple things. One, this wasn't your first rodeo, uh, and in many ways, some of your forays into Lightroom presets and workflow kind of explanations and and even your photo business really were kind of the training ground for this moment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they all kind of led. Taught, taught me new things. And so when it finally came to the point where I wanted to invest in, in creating the product, I, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid of, of the process. Mm. It was still an incredible amount of work to get it prepared and, and presented in the Kickstarter format. But that experience that I had made it an easier decision to make. Cause I knew I could, I could work it. It was just scalability at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to come. I'm going to circle back around in a minute to this new scale business you're part of. But talk a little bit more about um, how you've been relating with fear. <laughs> the reason I'm I'm asking is there's I know for, maybe I'm just projecting my own experience, but when I think of the conversations I've had over the years with creative people, it seems like somewhere in every every coffee shop conversation we land in the conversation around fear and what we're scared of. The internal dialogue around this thing we're, we're making or selling. Talk a little bit about your journey with fear over the years. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. I, uh, I would, I would like to think that I'm a pretty confident person. And if, if I know something is right, then, then I don't have a problem just pursuing it and doing it because I felt this was definitely, you know, an inspiration thing, a divine providence the fear wasn't really ever a factor for me. The fear of failure is definitely always there, but I'm not afraid of, of trying something. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It wasn't meant to be. The, the bigger fears now is for me, you know, like there's thousands and thousands of people that have bought my product. And I really hope it lives up to their expectations. You know, that's for me, I want to create a product that is good, that's quality, that, that serves a purpose. I don't want to create something just to create it to make a buck. So that for me is, is the biggest fear of all of them is have, have I lived up to the expectations 
And can people trust in the future that I'm going to continue to deliver on, on future things like that? But the, the biggest fear came when I finally quit my day job to, to pursue photography because it was the first time that, you know, I'm going to have to support myself by, by virtue of my own work and I have to wake up and, and make it happen. But I think that also had the same, the same generation was, I felt inspired that it was the right thing to do. You know, I'm, a, I'm a pretty active in my faith and I felt that, you know, this just seems right. It felt right. And I just ran towards it, went, went at it. And thankfully it was, you know, the right thing to do and it worked out. Right. And, and it, well, a couple things come to mind as you were talking. One, um, I have four kids and people, uh, it's not uncommon, especially for, for my friends who are younger, who maybe don't have a kid yet. Uh, maybe they're thinking of getting married and they're like, oh my gosh, four kids. That's crazy. I can't believe you do that. And they don't get that the, like the third and fourth kid are a joke. They're, they're not hard at all. Uh, <laughs> the first, the first interruption into life is, is the most radical shift. And that was like death defying uh, in, in experience. And what I'm hearing you say is it's not just this, like this project was kind of a setup and really the hard work happened way at the beginning when you took the leap. Yeah, it was definitely a leap. But at that time, you know, we were kind of newlyweds and our, our cost of living was, was pretty low. So I knew like I had calculated that, okay, I have about a pretty solid flow of income. I could go at this and for the next six months, we're going to be okay and that was kind of a risk I was willing to take. Well, uh, I want to go back, circle back again real quick around this idea of shifting gears from uh, selling services or really selling your time versus coming up with a product that scales. And, and really, you're, you're having to, it's, it's a fundamentally different value proposition. One, one you're selling you know, a skill set. The other one, you're selling a product. And the product came out of your skill set, certainly. But it's a, it's a different kind of thing. And I'm guessing you had to relate with the work a little differently, or did you? Did is there any is there any kind of fundamental shifts around how you look at the products that go at the door versus how you looked at the amount of weddings or family portraits you'd shoot? Yeah, they're they're fundamentally a different way to presenting the value that you offer. You know, with with photography, you're definitely selling a service and convincing people that you're better than someone else is very different when you sell a service versus a product because the service is kind of this intangible how do how did i make people feel what did what did they feel in the process of me creating pictures for them and being able to show that through visual is a very difficult process whereas the product thankfully i think i landed on something that kind of sells itself is that the people you know my target market are photographers that have used flash modifiers to some degree that they understand the inefficiencies or the annoyances that the other products bring and the product that they offered kind of solved almost all of those problems that they experienced. So selling that is, I think, easier to relay features and benefits of what, what it is that we offer versus as a service-based business, as a photographer, it's very difficult, especially in, in a sea of photographers that all seem to offer the same end product, which is a, you know, a portrait. How you get there is really how I think it needs to be sold, and uh, that was something that took a very long time for me to learn to to keep the the photography business you know viable year to year. 
I want to look at this conversation from the perspective of the listener. So as someone who's in their car or on their treadmill or doing their editing or trying to distract themselves from a responsibility that they're in the middle of, <laughs> they're hearing this conversation. And I, I suspect many of them are saying like, gosh, how, how could I do this? And the challenge with this kind of a conversation, I think, is we're telling the story in retrospect. I realize that it's real time and you have real orders that you need to fill as soon as we get off this call. And, um, you, you know, you're building a team, you're, you're building your, your plane mid-flight, like the cliche says. And yet we're still telling a radical success story in retrospect. And the folks that are hearing this, they want a future success story to be true for them. What advice would you give, given what you know now, and you've done this a few times now, but specifically with MagMod, looking forward, knowing what you know now, what would you do different? What advice would you give to the folks that are, are, they woke up this morning with their own dream and they're wondering if they have the stuff to make it happen? For me, I would say the biggest thing I think that has helped me is really just the ambition to do it. If you make a product and it is good, people will buy it. And I think that is a very valid concern, very valid fear for, you know, first-time entrepreneurs or people that are really want to change change their career or go in a different direction. If if you make something that's quality and you let people know about it, you're going to have people that buy it. And it, it's an amazing process. And once I learned that from, you know, the first few projects that I did throughout the last years, it uh, it was a very easy transition to go into MagMod. But for me, I don't think I possess any talent or ability or skill or knowledge more than any other Joe Schmo. But because of the experiences I've had, I know if I just do it, if I just go out there and make it happen, it, it'll be successful. To how degree successful, I don't know. I think I, I really, you know, got lucky this time around, but the the ambition is something that really has to come from from you from inside you know there's so many people that are way smarter than i am that know how to do things way better than than i do but there's a lot of people who just are afraid to just go and do it and i think you know overcoming that fear of just going to make it happen is the difference between a successful entrepreneur and someone that has a great idea i think that's the only difference is the ambition and the drive to just do it. When you talk like that, what occurs to me is the word confidence, that you have a, an earned confidence that has come in kind of odd packages over the years that you've collected, whether it be your family of origin or even a confidence. I've heard you mention your faith commitment a number of times. That seems to give you a confidence. Many ways you were innovating from within an industry. So you had inside information on what makes mm -hmm. sense as a practitioner it, those all seem like advantages to me and, and the kind of advantages that you're right. Like anyone who takes their craft seriously and take their life seriously, they, they could take advantage of those, those tools as well. Absolutely. I think in, in any industry, if you spend enough time, you know, four to five years getting to know how the industry works, there's, there's ways to find inefficiencies that you can innovate on. And it just takes someone that, that wants to do it, that, you know, a lot of people come up with the ideas. I'm sure there was someone that had an idea with magnets and actually there was something that existed prior to me knowing that I could do it like this. 
but I just went out there and, and did it and made it happen. So I think, you know, as someone coming straight out of college, um, it might be more difficult without the experience of how, a, you know, inefficiencies in the specific industry. But I, I think anyone honestly could do that if they just, you know, spent some time in, in a specific workforce, they could find a way to branch out and offer something of, of their own, own production. Let's talk just for a second about the product itself, this MagMod thing. So I have one, uh, a kit in front of me. Uh, I have a, a speed light in front of me as well. And, and I have uh, a couple grids. I have a couple gels and I have the, the actual form that goes around the flash itself. And because I have, uh, I'm basically in a little mini radio station here and I'm trying to uh, put the speed light and the MagMod work together. So it's going to feel a little awkward for a second. So just give, give me a second while I do this. Okay, so I put this thing on, and you're right, it fit perfect. And you're saying that this, I mean, it makes sense, this would fit on a Vivitar flash, an Icon flash, a Canon flash, or whatever flash, if it's a speed light. Yeah, any modern flash since, like, 1980, <laughs> um, well, everything that I've tried it on, it fits, unless it's, like, the really kind of basic consumer ones so now, the first time you put it on it, it is a little challenging because it's just awkward like how do i get this on here well i, I was nervous i was going to break it or stretch it or something and it, now that i've played with it a little bit it they feel kind of indestructible they're definitely not indestructible i mean any kind of rubber if, if it has a tear in it it could eventually tear all the way through but you know we designed ways around tear propagation points it's it's a pretty strong I, I, material. I love that you just used tear propagation points on my show. That's never happened before. That that just happened. That's cool. I learned that from from doing all the homework of calling manufacturers. Like, how should I, you know, how do I prevent it from tearing? And like, oh, you need to make sure there's no tear propagation points. Yeah, like, oh, that's a really fancy term. No, I'm I'm gonna use that at the next cocktail party. I don't go to cocktail parties very often, but when I do, I'm gonna use tear propagation point. Okay, so I, I have this thing on on uh, the the flash head and. A couple things that I'm noticing about the product that's pretty cool. One is just the magnets are cool. Like, I don't know why, they're but, fast. but they're just, they're cool. And, and you've made them very stealth-like. But these, these magnets, we were joking beforehand, they're pretty tough. Uh, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, they're, they're strong. Um, and we kind of designed them to, to just pop in. And the pure tension of the silicone keeps them in pretty firm. And then with them in, they have this real positive kind of, ease of throwing on like in your Kickstarter video, they just kind of pop on really quickly, but because they're magnets, one thought that I had right away, and I've asked you about this when we were together in Las Vegas, uh, I was nervous, gosh, will the magnets have some kind of negative effect on uh, compact flashcards or, you know, will it uh, mess up with my, uh, my iPhone or any kind of negative impact that you guys have come across of having magnets around a lot? Uh, no, magnets don't have any effects on any kind of, flash-based media like your compact flash, your SD cards, your iPhone, your iPad. I mean, your iPad has rare earth magnets inside of it, too. And I myself was afraid of that at the beginning. Like, I wonder what's, what's the potential damage these could present. But doing research and doing my own, just physically testing them, it became pretty obvious that there's there's no real concern. The only thing that we should be aware of is any kind of spinning hard drive. 
like any older laptop that does not have a solid state drive in it. Right. Okay. Okay. So the thing is, on, and then and then the other part that I thought was really insightful in the creation of this is it's not just the silicone and the magnets and the form feature. Although the form feature, I should mention quickly, I was I was delighted by the ability to stack or to basically put the flash on its head. It just stands up, and of course, it sticks to metal, which is great. It can just if I have a light stand or whatever, I can or a C stand, I can connect it pretty easily. But uh, if I don't have stands, I just like that I can kind of like a lens. I can have a positive, I can lay the, the device down. Whereas flashes before, if you're taking a flash off, there kind of wasn't any place to put it. You could put it in your bag, but if you didn't have your bag nearby, it's just, it was cumbersome. Whereas now mm -hmm. it feels very kind of like, like it just lands on the table and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Especially if I have a grid on it, then it, it widens the base even more and it's, or, you know, or, two, or two grid or two grid and, and, a, and a gel. And, and I want to talk about that for a second because right now I'm again, I'm looking at this and I have, I have two grids and a, a gel piece and the, and you, you actually design this so that you can actually stack the grids and decrease the light increasingly, but, but in a measured way. Correct. Uh-huh. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to create two different molds one because that's just really expensive, but two, I want, I like simplicity in design. And the simplistic way to do it that was both functional and elegant and made sense was to just have one design and you stack them to change to a tighter beam. You know, when I was shooting weddings and I, if I carried the grids, you know, I say if, because they were so big, if I carried them, it was either, do I want to carry both of them, like a quarter inch grid or an right. eighth inch grid? For, for three shots at an event, right? Yeah. Or just carry one of them. And it was always a decision, which one do I want? Do I want a tighter or wider? And so I didn't, and if I brought both of them and it's, I'm in the middle of a reception, like I have to take them out of my bag and I have to hold them against a light to find out which one is which. <laughs> so I wanted something I could just pull out of my bag, pop it on. And I spent a whopping one second thinking about which one I grabbed. So if I want a tighter one, I just pop another one on and I'm, and that's it. You know, the maximum I would ever really use is probably three. Mm -hmm. Not only is it a positive fit and everything that you can grab, you don't have to think about it, but they're also, when you, when you add the gel to it, there's some flexibility with the gel too, because you can put, you can put a kind of a frosted glass on it. You can also put on an amber gel, but, or, or different shades of amber, different. And then you can also stack those to go more dense. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the original concept of the whole MagMod came to me because of the gels. I wanted to stick it on my flash and forget about it. And when we were designing how to make these gels better, you know, one was to get away from the flimsy film-based media and get to like a hard credit card type of density where, you know, I could I could carry just a bunch of cards and not little pieces of that felt like trash in my camera bag. So the, the gel slot will hold three so I could stack different densities or I could put three different things in there like, you know, a frosted uh, diffuser, a neutral density and an amber all in once, which previously would have taken various strips of Velcro in various places on your flash in, in various different ways to stack them. And it would take you like 10 minutes to do it. And, so, in, and in practice, at least for me, uh, if I'm doing a demo, that's all fine and good. But if I'm actually in the field working, that just doesn't happen. You wouldn't do it. No, you just you you stop using modifiers on speed lights because nothing was quick, and it just got in the way of shooting. Right. Well, and I think you know the other part that I, that I as I've been thinking about it for a number of weeks now, the other advantage that I think is understated is it's such an analog device. Um, 
it feels like I get to touch it. <laughs> yeah. and, and it it has a a form feature to it that that just has a it just feels cool uh, to use it. So Spencer, where can people find out more about Magmod? Because they can't go to magmod.com. They have to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Um, our domain is magnetmod.com. So M-A-G-N-E-T-M-O-D.com. M-A-G-N-E-T-M-O-D.com. So, yep, perfect. And then any social media is at magnetmod, whether that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, anything slash magnetmod is, is our social media. Um, so that's how you can check us out. And Spencer, thanks so much for um, inspiring us today. This this uh, this is a kind of conversation that I think a lot of folks can can really get their head around because it relates both to what they what they're making themselves, whether they're making products or services, but also how they could make the transition in either direction. And I think this was a significant moment for everyone to witness uh, some innovative work from within. Uh, I know for me, when I walked around the trade show floor at WPI this year. There was two products I was pretty excited about. The second one I won't mention right now. I'll mention in a future show. But um, absolutely, Magmod was was uh, at the top of the heap. Just super impressive with what you uh, you brought to the table. Thanks for this this contribution. Thank you, Dan. It's been a pleasure uh, being on the show with you, and it's it's fun. I'm I'm glad I can share any little tidbits that maybe inspire someone to to make something that must make something awesome. This was episode 016 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. FastTrackCreative.com is our home where you'll find past episodes, our Better Together creativity community, and a ton of other resources for artists looking to make a difference with their creations. Music today provided by Triple Scoop Music. Sound as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quiza at acreative.co, that's A-Q-R-E-A-T-I-V-E.co, for her audio production. And a special thanks to Spencer for being with us. Check out his product, MagMod, at magnetmod.com. As usual, I want to thank you for spreading the word about the show. When you leave questions and comments on the site and rate us in places like iTunes, we recognize that you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a really big deal, and we're grateful. We never want to miss a chance to say thanks. That's it for now. I'm Dane Sanders. I'll see you here next time. 